people in a time of abundant hardship felt all around the world, how do we hold on to our faith in the midst of various trials? Whether these struggles are seemingly small or majorly significant, they each tempt us to lose faith in the sufficiency and goodness of God. But what Satan intends for evil, God intends for good. And his word assures us that we have much to hope for in him. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more gospel-centered, nations-minded resources at Radical.net. In this message from 1 Peter chapter 1, David Platt urges us to continue hoping and trusting and answers the question, how do you hold on to faith amidst trials in this world? If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. And while you're turning to 1 Peter 1, I want to mention two things. Uh, One, I'm wearing this care team shirt uh, to remind all of our members and guests, if you would like, to serve as part of our food distribution ministry. I was serving up here this last week. I just cannot say enough about this massive operation and all the people across our church that are doing so many things in it. And the simple fact is, the more people sign up to serve, the more people in our city hear the gospel. Like, it's that simple. Not only hear the gospel, but have physical needs met in the middle of COVID. And so, I just wanna encourage you, individuals, couples, Families, entire families, groups together, go online, sign up to serve. Second thing, this book on voting is now out. So seven questions every Christian should ask before you vote. We actually have hard copies to give away for those of you who are in the room today. Uh, If you want one, you don't have to take one. Uh, But you can only take one. You can't take multiple and sell them. Uh, Or you can download it uh, from Kindle and Amazon right now, or if you pre-ordered a hard copy on Amazon, hopefully that'll be delivered this week. The the aim of this book is to foster unity in the church as we all vote according to biblical convictions. And then we've developed a 31-day prayer guide for our country leading up to the election that will be available starting next Sunday. So many across our church participated in a time of prayer yesterday downtown. There is no question that our greatest need during these days in our country is mercy from God. So let's seek him together with one voice as we steward our vote, as we work together for the spread of his name in a country that needs what no presidential candidate or party could ever give. So We saw last week, it's the hope of the gospel that brings us together, and I want to show you today how hopeful this gospel is. I've been waiting all week long to dive into this text with you, so we've got a lot of ground to cover. I want to invite you, wherever you are, to read God's word out loud with me. So we're going to read the first 12 verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. We are five verses into this challenge to memorize 1 Peter 1, so... Some of you may be able to recite those first five verses and then maybe just read the rest of them. So I'll put it up here on the screen, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. This is the word of God. Let's say it out loud together. Make sure it's going to come up there. I don't see it up there. That's going to make it hard for you to see it as well. 
Try this one more time. Okay, you actually may need your Bible in front of you right now. So hopefully we'll get it on the screen in a minute. But let's start. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. If you have a Bible, we're reading from the ESV. I invite you to say it out loud with me. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who were exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, verse 6 says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Oh God, amidst all the tensions and issues in our country, amidst various trials in our lives, we pray that you would help us to understand the wonder of what we just read and what it means for our lives. Speak to us now by your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I think we got it working. I, I want to start today with a confession. So here's the confession. Faith is a struggle for me. So I don't know if that sentence surprises you, discourages you, encourages you, confuses you, disappoints you. After all, I'm a pastor. I've lived with faith in Jesus for close to 40 years in my life. But earlier this week, in my time alone with God, I want to confess before you a struggle to believe in a specific way. So most of you know that I have a son on the other side of the world whom we're adopting that 
I can't get to because of COVID. And I've been praying every day, multiple times a day, for six months for God to make a way for me to go to my son. And God hasn't done it. And one day earlier this week, as I started to pray, the thought crossed my mind. Why am I even praying? I just started thinking, is my prayer actually going to matter? And I would certainly preach that praying matters. But in that moment, it sure felt like it didn't. And then it was a small step from there to begin thinking about other things that are weighing heavy on my heart and life right now. I started to think, does it really matter if I pray about those things either? And before I knew it, my faith was headed in an unhelpful direction. And this was just a normal Tuesday morning in my time alone with God. So nothing extreme or tragic had happened. I wasn't avoiding God. I was actually spending time with God and I was struggling in my faith. So I guess that's what I'm trying to share with you. Faith is a daily struggle for me as a pastor. I'm guessing I'm not alone. That faith is a struggle for many of you in different ways amidst different things going on in your life. Your family, your work. When you look around the world on a daily basis and then all the more so when you experience trials. I think of and thinking all week this week about people in our church family who over the last couple of weeks have suddenly lost loved ones due to COVID, some due to suicide, some due to other causes. I think of brothers and sisters I know from our church family who are in the hospital with COVID right now, some who've received cancer diagnoses over the last couple of weeks, brothers and sisters whose marriages are struggling, whose kids are struggling, whose job is gone. I could go on and on. So here's the question I want to ask today for all of us, for anybody who struggles with faith. Like, how do you hold on to faith amidst trials in this world? That seems like a really important question to answer for all of us. Whether you're struggling in faith now in some way, or you find yourself struggling in the future. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Elijah, giant hero of the faith in the Bible, who got to the point where he didn't even want to live anymore. And we said, none of us is beyond getting to that point. None of us. So how do you hold on when you get to that point? And any other moment or day when you find yourself struggling with faith, So, in order to show you God's answer to this question in my own heart, this question for all of us in his word, I want to start by defining a couple of terms based on the passage we just read. So, the first word we need to define is faith. So, we see it three times in the verses we just read. So, at the end of verse 5, we saw... uh, By God's power, you're being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Then at the, get to verse seven, it says the test of genuineness of your faith may be found to result in all these things. And then verse nine talks about the outcome of your faith. So three times, and when you see this word in this passage, it's not just a generic word for any kind of faith in anything. In this passage, faith 
equals, so if you're taking notes, faith equals continuing hope and trust in God. Continuing hope, living hope. So not just hope at some point in the past, but an ongoing hope and trust in God, in Jesus. You believe in him, this passage says. You trust in him to save your soul. That's what we saw there. You believe in him, you trust in him to save your soul. Which, so side note, for those of you who are not yet Christians listening right now, the salvation of your soul is talking about the day when you and I and every single person in the world will stand before God to give an account for our lives on this earth All of us will stand before God one day. We will stand there as sinners, as people who have turned from God's ways to our own ways, and we will all deserve judgment before God for our sin. All of us, from the best of us to the worst of us. The good news of the Bible is that God loves us and has sent Jesus to pay the price for our sins. Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that anyone who trusts in him will be saved from our sins. So I want to urge you today, if you've not already, to put your hope and your trust in God and his grace toward you in Jesus. You can text that number. You see on the screen at any point. If you have any doubts or questions about that day when you're going to stand before God, I want you to leave today with hope when you think about that day. Trust in Jesus as you anticipate that day. And then for all of us to live with continuing hope and trust in God. So one more note on continuing here. We could go all over the Bible and talk about people whose faith failed at different points. And Peter, who's writing this book, is at the top of that list. Before Jesus went to the cross, cross. remember what he told Peter? Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed that your faith may not fail, that your faith won't fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And that's exactly what Peter did. Right after this, he denied Jesus three times. So did his faith fail? Yes, in that moment, just like our faith in so many moments is prone to fail. Just like I described in my life earlier this week. But not ultimately, right? That's what Peter is after here when he's writing about continuing hope and trust in God He's writing to Christians in the first century who are going through trials and he's encouraging them to hold on to faith, hold on to hope and trust in God in the middle of those trials, which leads to the second definition. Trials are temptations to lose faith. So Peter references trials at the end of verse six and then twice after that, he uses the word testing. So Go to verse six, trials, temptations to lose faith. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, though it is tested by fire. And I want you to see the way Peter describes these trials, these testings of our faith, these temptations to lose faith. He says they are varied. So you've been grieved by various trials. When you think about trials in your life, think about 
all the different temptations in your life to lose faith. It could be small. It could be a passing moment when you're tempted to sin. After all, the root of sin is a lack of faith, a lack of trust that God's way is best and right. So trials could be small things. It could be small things that just pile up when you're tempted to lose faith in a moment. Or they could be large major things when you're tempted to lose faith altogether. And these trials, the Bible says, are often grievous. They're hard, often painful. They're sorrowful. The Bible says they are temporary for a little while. So we're going to come back to that in a minute. I'm going to hit one other thing the Bible's saying about trials here. He said, the Bible's saying they're purposeful. Look at this phrase, if necessary. That's interesting. What does that mean? Trials Why would trials be necessary? And the answer, verse 7 gives us, is so that. So when you see so that, that's a purpose clause. There's a purpose in this trial. So that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to spend... In a sense, the rest of our time unpacking what that means, but at this point, I just want you to see, and I'm going to put this on the screen because it's so important maybe to write down, when you think about the purpose of trials, this passage is saying that God intends every type of trial to strengthen your faith. Every type of fi- trial to strengthen your faith. When it's said in verse 7, they may result in praise and glory and honor, just ask the question, like, is that a good thing? The answer is yes. That's a really good thing. Like an infinitely good thing. I'm going to show you in just a second. There's nothing, no one better than that thing. And that is what God intends trials to lead to. That's the result of Trials for those who hope and trust in God. So God intends every type of trial, small, big, light, heavy, all of them to strengthen your faith. But I want you to see the contrast here because God is not the only one who has an intent in our trials. We'll see this later in 1 Peter chapter 5. But the devil is on the prowl like a roaring lion seeking to devour And you know what he wants to devour? He wants to devour your faith. And you need to know this. God intends every type of trial to strengthen your faith, and Satan intends every type of trial to destroy your faith. Every single day, Satan aims to destroy your faith. Every day. And when you walk through trials, temptations to lose your faith, he wants you to lose it. He wants me to think prayer doesn't matter. God doesn't care about you or what you're asking for. He doesn't care about your son. God's not even listening to you. It's what he wants me to think. The devil wants you to think God doesn't care about what you're going through. If God was good, he wouldn't be letting this or that happen. If God was powerful, he would have stopped this or that. If God was loving, he would do something. Satan wants to devour your faith, my faith, in a world where we're surrounded by trials, temptations to lose faith. So back to our question then, how? How do you hold on to faith in the middle of trials in this world? Like practically, what do you do? 
And in order to show you the answer the Bible is giving us here, I want to put a picture in your mind. So I have another rope out here. I'm finding all kinds of uses for ropes and sermon illustrations. I've actually used this rope before. But I want you to picture this small blue part of this rope as your life in this world. Like from start to finish. From the moment you're born to the moment you die. And in the middle, there are all sorts of varied trials. Some small, some big, some that last for a moment, some that last for months or years, maybe even decades. But they're all represented here in your, this time between your life and your death. So this is your life in this world. So the question we're asking today is, how do you hold on to faith here amidst the trials in this world? And the answer I want to show you in 1 Peter 1 and in the picture of this rope that I want to kind of use in some different ways is that you hold on to faith here by looking back, by looking forward, and by looking up. So, follow this with me. Start by looking back in the middle of trials. How do you hold on to faith? You look back in three ways. First, look back at the God who called your name before the world even began. How do you hold on to faith in the middle of trial right here? You start by looking back at the God who called your name before the world even began. So we saw this last week. Christian, your story didn't start here at your birth. It didn't start there, the beginning of this blue tape. Your story started a long time before this. So I'm gonna start to walk this direction and I want you to get a picture of this rope going all the way to the other side of this stage and going backstage and continuing backstage. Like, out the door, across the street, across the city, around the world, and around again, and again, and again, and around the universe, so just picture, it goes on forever. So whole picture that I want you to get, and this rope here is a picture of eternity past. So going on forever in this direction. And we saw last week that before the foundation of the world, verse 2, 1 Peter chapter 1, God foreknew you. Foreknew you before a star was ever even set in the sky, before earth was even created. God foreknew you, chose Saw it in verse three, according to his great mercy, caused us to be born again to a living hope. God, from eternity past, set his affection on you, chose to love you, chose to save you from your sin, chose to adopt you into his family. So when you think about whatever point in your life where you were born again, where you put your trust, your hope in Jesus for the first time, whether that was years ago, whether that was days ago, maybe for some of you it might be today, whatever that point was, realize that's not where the story started. The story started millions of years before that. In eternity past, when God chose to love you, adopt you in his family. Even picture the, that, that picture of adoption, like right now, there is 
a child on the other side of the world without a family or a home. He has no idea that there's a family and a home praying for him every single day, multiple times a day, who loves him and can't wait to shower him with love. And this is you before God. Before you even knew him, before before you even thought about him, when you were running from him, he was running after you. He was pursuing you before you were born, before the world was even formed. So when you're struggling to hold on to faith right here, just pause for a moment and remember that for eternity, God has loved you. So we're just getting started. Then look back at all the people in history who have given their lives serving you. Say, what does that mean? All the people in history on this rope who've given their lives up until now serving you. So I'll come back to this on the screen if you're writing it down in just a minute, but look at this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. The Bible says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit in Christ, of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, follow this, that they were serving not themselves, but you. The things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Do you hear that? All the prophets in the Old Testament had a purpose, and it was not to serve themselves. Instead, their purpose was to serve you. They were giving their lives, prophesying, and enduring trials as they did to serve you and me. Think about Ezekiel. We're reading through Ezekiel right now as a church. In our Bible reading today, Ezekiel's wife, the delight of his eyes, died, and he wasn't even allowed to mourn. Who was he serving in that moment? He wasn't serving himself. He was serving you. He was proclaiming God's word centuries ago so that you and I today, right now, would know who God is, how God responds to sinners, and how God promises to save all who trust in him. That's what Ezekiel is saying in chapter after chapter after chapter right now in what we're reading. He's saying trust in God's word. Don't turn from God and his word. Don't lose faith. Don't run after other gods. That leads to death every time. Don't do it. That's Ezekiel serving us every day right now in our Bible reading. And after him, it'll be Daniel, and then Hosea, and Joel, and Amos, and on and on and on, all of them saying, trust in God, trust in God. Don't trust in any other gods. And don't put yourself, your trust in yourself. Don't do it. You think you know what's best. You don't know what's best. Trust in God. Let this soak in, Christian, right where you're sitting right now. All these prophets lived for your faith to help you hold fast in hard times. And not just the prophets, but those who preached the good news to you. See, all the people who've passed the gospel on, so now it's come to you. I mentioned a couple of martyrs last week. I was thinking this week about William Tyndale, who risked his life in the 16th century to translate and publish the Bible into English so that people in England commoners could read it. He was eventually, Tyndale was condemned as a heretic, strangled and burned at the stake. Do you know why? Because he was serving us. He was serving you and me. 
he gave his life so the Bible could be in our hands, in our language. I think of martyrs like him in Queen Mary's reign, 288 men, women, and children burned at the stake because they believed and proclaimed the gospel so that it might be passed down to you and me. There are multitudes of men and women throughout history. Some we know their names, like Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Multitudes more, we don't have any idea their names. All of them filled with the spirit of Christ who've walked through trials and given their lives serving you and me so that we might experience salvation in Christ. And at the head of them all, look back at the king who conquered sin and death for you. So I put a red part in the rope about here to remind us that our hope is not in some vague dream out there. Like our hope is in a real historical event a real historical person who lived perfect life with no sin, who died on a cross to pay the price for sinners, and then rose from the grave in victory over sin and death. We have hope in the middle of trials here because we have put our hope in the king who conquered the ultimate trial death itself. This is what Peter's saying. Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then this is what I love about verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. How is that possible? How is it possible to love and believe and rejoice in somebody you haven't even seen face to face? Jesus here that's, here's how that's possible. Christian brother or sister, you and I have seen Jesus in far greater ways than if we had seen him face to face. One, remember, most of the people who saw him face to face rejected him. So don't think just automatically, automatically, yeah, if I was alive, I would have done this or that. And then two, very few people had it intimate, close-up look at Jesus. I mean, most of us, we maybe, maybe we've seen him here or there, heard a sermon at this point or that point, but look at what we have instead. Like, we have it all. We see him at every moment in the Gospels, like calming the wind and the waves and healing this person and that person over here. Every single word he says, we see him in intimate moments with his disciples. We see him alone in the garden praying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. We see him dying on a cross. We see him rising from the dead. Not just that, we see him ascending into heaven. We see his spirit and all those he sends out. And by the way, we see in 39 books in the Old Testament over centuries, promise after promise after promise of who he is and how he would come to save us from our sins. We see him better than we could have in the first century for sure. And as we see him, we love him. And we believe in him. And we rejoice in him, even in trials. Why? Because we know that we've put our hope in a king who is alive. He's not dead. And we know that when we die, we will live because he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, he will live forever with me. 
So you can trust in him in the middle of the trials. Why? Because God called you before time even began because history is filled with people who've been serving you, exhorting you to trust him in the middle of the trials and at the head of it all is the king who conquered sin and death, the ultimate trial for you. <laughs> and that's just one part. So now we look forward. Look back, look forward to two things. One, look forward to the inheritance that is guaranteed for you. So now let's take a tour on this side of the rope. So here's that point when you die, and then this rope starts going on forever and ever and ever in this direction. So just imagine this rope goes on. We're a few million years in now, and it keeps going on and on and on and on forever in that direction. And what is the Bible saying about this? You've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. So the Bible describes our inheritance, this part of the rope, as a kingdom, as a new heaven, a new earth, so think physical, like when you picture heaven, don't picture like we're just gonna be floating around on clouds and some spirit world. Like that's not at all the way the Bible depicts heaven. A new heaven and a new earth, a kingdom where everything will be good. No more sorrow, no more sin, no more suffering, no more death, no more trial, no more temptation to lose faith. It's an inheritance that is imperishable. It means it will last forever. You ever, you ever experience something that's so good, you're like, I just don't want this to end. Heaven will be so good and it will never, ever end. It's undefiled. No trace or stain of sin or evil anywhere. It's unfading. You know that feeling that shiny new toy you get and then a week later or a month later or a year later it just doesn't shine the same way it did that's not the way heaven is unfading shining more and more and more as we go throughout history and I just think I've meditating on this this week like I just wonder if at some point we just pause in this inheritance one day and look back that blew apart our life in this world and we just look at each other like, do you remember that world? Like it was, it was so full of hurt and pain and heartache and suffering and evil. Like there was, there were wars in that world, there was starvation, there were diseases. Millions of refugees driven from their homes in that world. You never knew if home would last. It took children's lives in their mother's womb in that world. Like they trafficked children for horrible things in that world. And people were always fighting against each other, accusing each other, attacking each other. There were protests and riots in the street. Look, be like, 
There's no wars. There's no starvation. There's no diseases. Nobody's attacking each other at all. Like everybody gets along with each other. Nobody even going after each other on social media. They actually love each other. Everybody here. No protests, no riots. This world is awesome. It's awesome. All the things that we struggle with in that world that we don't even need anymore. Like even, even our bodies, like remember that world? Remember, remember when we had to wear masks everywhere? And we couldn't even touch each other. Like, now our bodies are perfect. Remember, remember when that world, like you'd hit 40 and your back and your knees would just start hurting for no reason. <laughs> Doesn't happen here. My knees are awesome. They're gonna be awesome for a few trillion years. No replacement needed. <laughs> this is amazing, this world. And I think about, I was thinking this week about all the professions, even in our church family, that will no longer be needed. No military needed in this world. No police needed in this world. No doctors, nurses needed in this world. So many of you are gonna need new jobs. (laughs) But it's good, right? Like all these things that we are so thankful for in this world, military, law enforcement, doctors, nurses, we won't need in a world where there's no sin and sorrow and pain. It'll all be gone. This is what we're headed toward. This is the world God has called. He said, this is your inheritance. It's coming. So here's the deal. On that day when we're talking about that and we look back to this day, what's gonna matter? What one thing is gonna matter here? Faith. Faith, that we hold on to faith. Not, it's not gonna matter how long or short this little blue part was, how short or long your life was in this world. That's not what's gonna matter. It's not gonna matter how healthy you were, how wealthy you were. The question is, did you have faith? Did you trust in God? Did you continue to hope and trust in God? That's the one thing that will matter. So how do you hold on? You look forward to the inheritance that is guaranteed for you. Guaranteed. Knowing there's a kingdom coming for you. And not just that, not just that. Look forward to the glory that will be given to you. To the glory that will be given to you. Did you hear this language? Back to this. Well, started afresh here. Rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that, remember we talked about the purpose clause, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, follow this, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there's some confusion and debate over, okay, who's getting the praise and the glory and the honor here? Is that for us or for God? I think the picture's clear. It's both. So the Bible is saying, follow this, that faith is like gold refined in fire. And when you and I go through trials, refining is happening. The Bible talks about this all over the place. Just a couple of examples. James 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith, the same language, produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So there's a purpose in this. It's producing something. Romans 5, 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in sufferings. How? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. It produces something. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. So the whole picture is when our faith is tested, our faith is being refined like gold. 
like gold. And just like gold on the other side of the fire is more pure and more precious, more valuable, so is faith on the other side of the fire. Faith that has said, God, even when my faith, or even when my health was failing, God, even when my job was gone, even when this person I loved so much was gone, even when everything was dark around me, like everything, even then, even more so then, I hoped and I trusted in you. And the Bible is saying that that kind of faith will be exalted by God in heaven. You will stand before God, brother or sister, on that day, and he will say praise and glory and honor be to you. Here's my kingdom. Enjoy. And you will enjoy to his praise and glory and honor. You will be glorified. God will be glorified. Which all leads to the other place you look in the middle of trials. So Christian, you look back, you look forward, and you look up. So 1 Peter 1 says, look up at the angels who marvel at God's plan of salvation for you. Verse 12, these are things, I'm just gonna add this in, Peter says, into which angels long to look. What does that mean? Remember, angels don't experience salvation like you and I do. Angels stand in awe as they watch sinners like you and me who deserve eternal suffering be saved from our sin and sustained by God in this sinful world. So look up at angels who peer over the precipice of heaven and watch God's work in your life with wonder. And look up at all the people in history who are cheering you on. So I'm just gonna pull in these people from the past here because they're not off the scene right now. They're alive right now in heaven. Hebrews 12 says they are watching and cheering you and me on. Get the picture. In your suffering, in my suffering, in our trials, this host of men and women who've gone before us, all of them who experienced trials, all of them who experienced temptations to lose faith, all of them who held on to hope and trust in God, from Moses to Hannah to Elijah to my dad and Heather's mom and Betty Wright and Jake Castle. They're all in heaven shouting right now, hold on. Just hold on, hold on. It's worth it, it's worth it. He is worth it. God is worth your hope and your trust. Just hold on. 
Look up at the angels. Look at men and women who have gone before us. And ultimately, look up at the God who will guard and guide you all the way to the end. Verse five is the bedrock verse in this passage. There is an inheritance in heaven kept for you who by, see it, who by God's power are being guarded. Does that word mean? That word means protected. Like picture yourself on a dangerous journey, having a guard with you or guards around you to ensure you make it safe to the destination. So here you are. Here's where you're trying to get. The Bible says you have a guard to make sure you make it there. In other words, don't miss this picture. This is the ultimate point. On that day when you see his face and you receive your inheritance, and maybe you start to think, I held on. On that day, you will realize, wait, God was actually holding on to me. And that's the promise of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. By his supernatural power, supernatural grace, supernatural strength, supernatural joy, God promises to hold on to you. So in the middle of trials, temptations to lose faith, small, big alike, brothers and sisters, look back, look forward, and look up to the God whose power promises to provide you everything you need. And in this, faith, continuing hope, and trust in Him. Will you pray? Will you bow your heads with me? I'm just looking around this room and looking through that camera and I know, I know there are some people who aren't ready for that day, aren't ready to stand before God on that day. Like if you do not have confidence when you think about standing before God because you have put your hope and your trust in Jesus, I invite you right now just to pray to him, just to say, God, today I put my hope and my trust in you. Today. I trust in what Jesus has done on cross for me and his resurrection for me and all that you've done for me. Forgive me of my sin. Restore me in a relationship with you. Give me new life. Cause me to be born again. Save my soul. Save me from my sin. When you pray that, God promises to answer that prayer. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Bring about faith like that, we pray right now. So many different people's hearts. Don't let us play a religious game or live going after the idols of this world. God, help us to trust in you. And God, I pray, I pray, just looking around this room through that camera, so many people who are experiencing trials right now, and so many of us who, who don't know the trial that's coming around the corner where we're gonna find ourselves at rock bottom. God, I just pray faith 
I pray for continuing hope and trust in God. In every heart, in every life, now and in the days to come, guard your people like you promised by your power for the salvation that will be revealed in the last time. We praise you for our inheritance. We praise you for the hope into which we have been saved. All glory be to your name, Jesus, for making this possible. We worship you. We praise you. And we say together today, our hope and our trust are in you. Though we have not seen you, we love you. We believe in you. We rejoice in you. And we sure look forward to the day when we will see you, when our faith will turn to sight in a whole new way. And we will experience the reward you have prepared for us. I pray all these things. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your word cause it to soak in more and more and more in our hearts, even as we contemplate what we've just heard. In Jesus' name, amen. Election season is obviously right around the corner here in the U.S., and our current political climate certainly presents unique challenges for Christians. And so in this new book, David urges every Christian to ask these seven critical questions before even casting a ballot. Questions that are based on biblical truths and not political talking points. It's nonpartisan, practically helpful, and most importantly, biblically saturated. You can pre-order your copy right now at Radical.net. Well, that's all for today's episode. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. Until next time, join us there at Radical.net.